Welcome to Mormon Visual Culture, a podcast presented by the Zion Art Society and hosted by me, Micah Christensen. This year, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of President Spencer W. Kimball's landmark talk, The Gospel Vision of the Arts, through discussions with prominent artists, collectors, and scholars about artwork that has inspired them and shaped LDS culture. For this week's episode, we have what is for me an absolute dream event. Walter Rain, the artist, flew from New York to come and be a part of the exhibition that we're hosting, 50 Years of LDS Art, which can be seen from September 12th until September 29th at the First Emanuel Baptist Church, um, Anthony's Antiques in Salt Lake City. Um, You can see more about that, hours, location, on our website, zionartsociety.org, or on our Facebook page, Facebook forward slash Zion Art Society. This is a little longer interview than we typically do. And frankly, by the time we were done, it went for about an hour and and 40 minutes. I felt like we could have gone even longer. He is um, just uh, full of wisdom, great wells of experience, and he was wonderful at articulating Um, how he works, both from a craft perspective on a very nuts and bolts level, but also on a larger philosophical level. He was, um, it's something that I, some of the things that he said will stick with me for a long time and have had already a huge impact on how I look at uh, LDS visual culture. Well, anyways, I'll let you uh, enjoy this interview. I hope you do as much as I did. Thank you. Well, I would like to welcome everyone here tonight for the next in our events that accompany this, uh, this exhibition that we're having of 50 years of LDS art. Tonight, we are very, very happy and just shocked that we were able to get the legendary, in my opinion, and I don't think I'm playing this up too much because this is how I feel, um, rock star status of having the painter Walter Rain with us. Let's give him a welcome. Now, some of you may be familiar or not that we have a podcast, the Zion Art Society, called Mormon Visual Culture, where we, for the past several months, have been doing interviews with artists, scholars, and collectors to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the talk, uh, Gospel Vision of the Arts by Spencer W. Kimball. It was given, six, sorry, not 60, what am I saying, 50 years ago, this last Tuesday, September 12th. And... Um, we feel like this, this year is a year of reflection and also uh, not just on the past and what's going on now, but looking forward as, uh, to what is going on in, in LDS visual culture. And that's such a strange term, visual culture. I know that it sounds totally academic and we don't, we don't use it in other ways. But as we were thinking about this podcast um, and about what we're doing in general, um, culture seemed the right word because it's a big part of, of all our lives. And I've never met someone in the church who didn't have a strong opinion about art. Walter, um, Walter Rain has been on our hit list from the very beginning as someone that we wanted to interview because uh, he is not only an artist who is ubiquitous, but he's also individual, unique in his approach to art. And um, he has had a powerful influence on the way that I look at not just art, but gospel topics that he has covered. He came from 
Harlem to come uh, and be interviewed tonight and to be a part of the show. And we have a work from him, which we'll have up on the screen. Uh, we've never done this before where we've had the live interview. Usually it's just me in a dark room on the phone or me across the table from whoever I'm interviewing. So um, I'm grateful that all of you are here. We're going to take questions at the end. And while we're talking, we're going to have this screen that will bring up a few images. I've got about six or seven that I'll have specific questions about. If we get to all of them, we may not. Um, those of you who are following on Facebook, you'll be able to see it. Those of you who are listening to the audio of this, and I'm sorry for the long preamble, those of you who are listening to the audio, um, we have on our website, zionartsociety.org forward slash podcast, a, uh, a copy of these slides. So they'll okay. be able to see every one of them. So with that, um, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to start by asking Walter, as is our custom, um, to tell us about the work that you chose. Because we start off with every guest choosing a work of art by another artist, I know that may sound odd, mm -hmm. um, to, uh, to, to, to discuss. And you chose a work that uh, is by Jed Thomas called Still Small Voice. It was done in about 1999. Yes. And, uh, well, first of all, tell us, tell us who Jed Thomas is. Jed, I, I have to start off by saying, just, just, Jed is a good friend of mine. Okay. And Jed is a, a wonderful artist. And, and he's also somebody that probably n not many of us, many other people know about. I mean, he's been a professional artist for... He went to BYU and studied art with Brian Kershiznik and Ron Richmond and Mike Workman, that group. So the people, we're very familiar with yeah. those artists. Yeah, and Jed was, was part of that, and then he went on and he got a master's degree at uh, Arizona State. Uh, in art? In art. Okay. In printmaking, uh, specifically, I believe. Um, and, uh, uh, but the fact is, he's had two careers. He's one of those people that he also got a degree in psychology and has been working as a school psychologist in Salem, Oregon, all this time as well. Huh. And he, so he gets up at you know 4:35 in the morning and does his art, and then has his other career. And and he's he's been devoted to both careers. I think the two careers he didn't want to let one of them go because he loved both and they kind of feed off each other, I think. I know at least that his art is very insightful and I think that comes from his, you know, his career as a psychologist. Um, Where is he based? In Sa Salem, Oregon. In Salem, Oregon? Yeah. So very, artists we're very familiar with know him. Uh -huh. We're not familiar with him, possibly because of being in Oregon, possibly yeah. because of this. Yeah. He, he, he exhibits. He exhibits in Arizona and Oregon mostly. I think he, sometimes in Utah. He grew up in Utah, actually, in Orem. So. Is his, now, now, this work in particular, why choose this work? Okay, because this particular work, The Still Small Voice, had a significant impact on me and my career. Um, I, you know, I came from an illustration background, and then right about this time in the late 90s, I was transitioning to, be do, to do scripture work, uh, scripture-inspired scripture, scripture paintings, I guess I should say. And, um, and so coming at, 
uh, from being an illustrator, uh, you know, you're reading the scriptures and you're coming up with ideas. And one of the Old Testament stories that just jumps out at, at you is, is Elijah. Elijah in the desert, you know, he lives in a cave and, and uh, he's uh, praying for guidance. And he has this experience where, you know, there's, there's an earthquake, there's a fire, there's um, uh, a huge storm, and, and he's looking for the Lord, and the Lord's not in any of those. And then finally, the, st uh, the still small voice comes to him and speaks to him and gives him his mission call, essentially. Um, and, and so, as an, il as, a, as an artist and an illustrator, I, I just loved all that, those kind of uh, Im images of, they're very dramatic and, uh, and almost cine cinematic. And so uh, I was kept trying to find the right subject, the right way to portray that and, and, and the still small voice. And then I walked into a home of a friend of mine, uh, a mutual friend, uh, Jed was her friend also, and uh, there was this, and it's a very small painting. It, I, I don't know, my memory is, mm. it's probably about <clears throat> 12 by 16, or yeah, 12 by 18 or something like that. Mm. And, I, and it just spoke to me immediately, mm. and I said, well, what's the title of this? And, and uh, Mary, our friend, said, The Still Small Voice. And it just hit me like, you know, it just taught me that um, the value of ambiguity, of, mm. of not, uh, of looking for the essence of a story and not, tr not getting carried away with all the dramatic parts, which I tend to, uh, and, uh, and, and that lesson, I'm the type of person that has to be taught lesson over and over again. So I've probably been taught that lesson previously, but that really sunk in at that at that moment hmm. that I was uh, maybe looking at these scripture stories and not getting the core, the essence of them, like Jed had accomplished with his painting. I just, it, it just to me, I mean, he he has. There's no Elijah in the painting. There's no wind. There's no earthquake. The image, I always, I haven't seen the painting for quite a while, I always remember it as, it's an angelic figure that looks feminine to me, but now hmm. I, I, I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, but it speaks of, of peace and calmness and, and gentleness. Uh, and, and maybe the redness kind of uh, gives you the feeling of the fire that's passed. But the rest of it, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's hit, he's accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, mm. but not using any of the visual elements I was trying to so throw it, in it, there. So it did it with all of the opposite <laughs> instincts that you had. Exactly, exactly. It's, it, it's such, for those who can't see it, if they're just listening to this, you have a painting that's structured with a light sky, a kind of, I don't know if you can describe it as, as what would be a forested mountain, but it's a dark line. So you've got a series of, of, of three horizontals and you've mm -hmm. got 
it broken into almost a golden mean where you've got you've got the third on top, two thirds on bottom, and then you have the vertical of the angel that's crossing through most of those horizontals. But I don't know if the angel is being reflected in water. I don't know. It's like you said, yeah. if, if I were to walk away from this, if 10 of us were to look at this uh-huh. and walk away from it, I'm sure we would all describe it differently yeah. because of the ambiguity yeah. in that. Also red, yeah. I don't know how this red is calming. Red is generally not a calming yeah. image. I don't know how he's achieved that. It's a pretty remarkable image. I, I think so. For, that, for those... Yeah. Just, just those kinds of basic technical uh-huh. problems of yeah. how do you have a figure, but have the figure be vague enough that it's discernible, it's discernible but vague. Yeah. And then how have all of these compositional elements that are used typically in representational art, but yeah. not know exactly what they're representing. Yeah. And it emphasized to me also that I think art, ha- when it's good, it speaks its own language. You know, sometimes it can't be articulated, it can't be explained, but it touches you hmm. in, a, in a different way, on a different level. So, and the fact that 10 different people would see it 10 different ways means that those 10 different people were invited into this image and brought their life's experiences with them right. and interpreted in different ways and I think that's also a uh, mark of what makes art wonderful and great. So I want to get to this question of your instincts before this. I want to know more about your training all right. because it's, it, it, it strikes me that well, first of all you've told us that your training was as an illustrator mm-hmm. but at the same time um, I remember the first time I met you, uh, it was in New York, uh-huh. and, and uh, I was trying to, with my, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a poor attempt on my part to try and place you within a particular group of artists who were working in the church at one time. And it was then, it, it, it was in that conversation for the first time that I learned that you, you have a different origin than a lot of the artists who are working today in the church. Mm-hmm. Tell us where well, where are you from originally? Uh, Chula Vista, California. Where's that? It's south of San Diego. It's oh, so, almost so. Mexico. Yeah, and on the coast. Okay. Near the coast. Okay. Uh, I born and raised there. Lived there until I was 19. Okay. Um, served a mission in France, and then I went to Art Center College of Design in Los Angeles. So. Southern California was pr- pretty much my world. When you were in, when you were in France, did, were, was it all missionary work all the time? Did you have any experience with art while you were there? I actually did. Uh, when I went, first went uh, to France, I was, I was, I'm very poor at languages, and I, I couldn't, it took me a long time to pick up my language, pick up the language, and my first companion was wise enough to take me to the store and buy some colored chalk and had me drawing on the sidewalk to attract attention so he could talk to them because he spoke beautiful French. What did, did you tell him you were an artist? Yeah. So how? So, so you skipped this part then. Uh-huh. When, when did you start an interest in art? When, when did you know oh, you had it? Oh, that was very early. That was very, uh, my, my mother has a little note from my kindergarten teacher. says, 
she encouraged Walter to draw. He's good at it. And uh, she saved that. And I still have it. She was prescient. She knew that, that someday... Well, it might have been that finally the teacher found something that I could do, <laughs> you know. But, and, and, and so, and, and, but that encouragement kept up. And it's, I, I, I find it very remarkable that my parents, uh, you know, at that time, uh, encouraging your children to be an artist was pr pretty rare. What did they do? My dad was an insurance salesman. Okay. My mother uh, was a, uh, I don't know the right term anymore, homemaker, is that if you still use that term, I don't know. But. So they were, they were, they were pretty, I, I mean, I don't want to make this sound like it's a, a bad thing, but they were fairly conventional. You wouldn't, yes. they weren't bohemians no. in, by, by any means. And, and there was no art of any kind in my, my family or extended family in previous generations. Of course, more, both my parents came from Idaho, farm, that sort of thing, and probably art wasn't part of their world much. You're a baby boomer. You were born in 49. Did they go there because of the naval base that was in Southern California? Yeah, my dad was in the Navy during World War <laughs> yeah, and uh, when the war was over, there he was in San Diego, and he thought he was in paradise. He probably it. was. Yeah, he was. San Diego. He never wanted to leave. Besides all the being, yeah. it's beautiful. Though yeah. I have a friend who tells me every time I say San Diego is beautiful that it has the most cougar attacks of anywhere in the country, and that's oh. why he hasn't moved there. But oh, okay. I think he may be the only one telling himself that. Okay. That yeah. uh, that. So what kind of what did your art look like pre-mission? What were you doing? I was always fascinated with realism with because I was a pretty easy buy for birthday presents and Christmas presents. They bought me art books and you art You were sets. a cheap date. I, yeah, it was easy. And I, uh, so I, you know, loved Rembrandt and still do, and uh, that's the kind of work I aspired to and this is a th th it strikes me that there aren't many museums um south of i'm gonna get myself in trouble south south of, of pasadena los angeles that are known for having a taste for old masters for having i mean the huntington you have but but it, if you were growing up in south of san diego did this come from books? It came from books. And you weren't seeing the original works. No. You were seeing books. Books, yeah. Were yeah, you copying I, out of the books? I didn't do a lot of copying, no. Were you do, were doing work from life and just? Uh, yeah, life. And uh, I probably even used photographs even then for inspiration. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, the my taste for art has always been realism, even though you know I was coming of age at a time of de Kooning and Pollock and right. that. The zeitgeist was definitely yeah, one very of, different. of modernism, yeah. of abstract. So work. my parents were very encouraging me, encouraging to me in in my artistic ambitions, but I'm sure they steered me to, you know, Saturday Evening Post, Norman Rockwell, and away from... Because that was their taste? That or was their taste, Was it considered yeah. a moral issue, no. or was it just a taste issue? Taste issue. It was just a taste issue. I'm not in implying that there would be one. I'm just... Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's just uh, something that occurred to yeah. me. Are you... Um, 
So you come back from your mission, having used your art as a missionary tool while you were a missionary, yeah. and you you go to uh, to to college in. Now, name the school again. Art Center College of Design. Art Center College of Design. Now, what was the curriculum like at the art, and why go there? Well, I went there because I wanted to learn to paint and draw like Rembrandt. And you looked around in those days, and the colleges, uh, the art schools, were not teaching that. Hmm. And Art Center was a school that made no bones about it. They were training people to have careers in art. It was a career-oriented school. They, they taught designers and they taught um, uh, architects, I think, and, so this and is illustrators. Pre, this is pre-Photoshop, yeah. pre-Illustrator. You are learning, you're learning to draw, to paint for the purpose of, of, of doing illustrations illustration for books magazines. And magazines. Okay. But I was learning what I wanted to. I was learning to draw and paint the human figure and learning about composition and color and all that kind of thing that art schools in those days were really steering you away from. They would say, if you learn how to draw like the old masters, it's going to hurt your uh, creativity or whatever. So. I kind of wonder about the generation of artists that were like the the Harvey Dunns that had taught mm -hmm. Norman Rockwell and Arnold Freeberg. It seems like there was a generation of artists whose style and skill level, despite having a very high skill level, mm -hmm. um, kind of fell out of fashion, and they ended up teaching at some of these schools. Right. And I wonder if your teachers, your professors at this time, were they... Did they seem like frustrated artists that were out of uh, that, that felt like they were? Were they? Did they have a chip on their shoulder of these these modernists don't get what it takes to be an artist? And um, what was I, no, I didn't hear a lot of of uh, uh, anxiety about that. They loved uh, what they did, and they didn't they didn't at least express any kind of uh, frustration about it. Is but, it? Did it feel like there was a culture war going on, or was it just a difference in taste? Because I'm making it sound like there was a frustration, and maybe there wasn't at all. I, I think, I'm not sure. Yeah, like and that's the, all right. Yeah. The, the the one teacher there that well, there are a couple of teachers there that were there simply because, and they, they were the best, but they couldn't get a job anywhere else because they weren't teaching what the other schools wanted them to teach. But Lorzer Feidelson was a master draftsman, uh, knew anatomy like nobody, uh, nobody else, and, and he actually, but he, his work was abstract. He has abstract paintings in the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Interesting, so it wasn't just clearly black and white of I am, no. I am a traditional artist, so I will only, he was, he was doing he was both. He was doing both. Um, and maybe there was some frustration there that he, uh, you know, his ability to, to draw and, and paint uh, like the old masters was not being appreciated. But he still had his career as, a, as, a, as an artist. Uh, you know, I, I um, once interviewed Arnold Freeberg before he passed away. And I know he wasn't the first person to say this, but it was strange coming from his mouth. He said that all great art is abstract on some level mm -hmm. and, it, and it strikes me that a lot of those skills the ideas of of where you draw the eye around with 
with values, with color, with with uh, just shape. Mm-hmm. Period are something that if you're a figurative artist, you've got to have some aptitude in the abstract. If you're an abstract artist, mm-hmm. there there's a lot of there's a Venn diagram where they cross over quite yeah. a bit. I'm sure. Yeah. One thing I, I really have grown to appreciate about Art Center, because uh, I always thought it was a great education, but it, it was a training to be an illustrator, so there was probably something lacking there. But uh, what I appreciate now is that uh, all the life drawing classes I took and all the anatomy classes that I took were, they weren't the classical academic that the ateliers are teaching today. We didn't spend three months on a drawing and getting it perfect. We were more about learning to draw the human figure (coughs) as a compositional element. What you were talking about, that all art, even figurative art, is abstract on a certain level. Hmm. I think that was kind of there and it really sunk in deep to me because most of the those figure drawing classes they were five minute poses 20 minute poses and at the most an hour you know uh, and, huh. and it was a, a lot about understanding the figure but also being able to use it as a compositional element uh, that's an interesting distinction because in the in the a lot of ateliers that happen today that are hearkening to a classical tradition mm-hmm. in, in, in using a lot of the language that's used in those ateliers. They are intent on putting the figure in a classical pose of some kind. They'll maybe pick something from Bernini or something by Phidias mm-hmm. and and they will work for a very long time on a very particular pose, three months or so yeah. even. And here you're learning to move very quickly, mm-hmm. you got your your your, and I'm sure that that had a huge influence in the kinds of the kinds of ways that you see the human body. You're not necessarily putting it. You're 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 maybe capturing observation mm-hmm. rather than putting things into a pose. Is that would that be accurate? Yeah, uh, but uh, I mean I'm not being critical of these ateliers. I think they're no, fantastic. No, no. It's just and if a, I, I a that's what I was dying f- for when I was that huh. if I was around uh, you know 40 years younger or whatever. That's uh, that's what I was looking for. But I think they are lacking in that after you perfect your ability to see sh- light and shadow and, and perfect anatomy, what do you do with it? If you, if you look at Peter Paul Rubens, I mean, some of those bodies, if you really look at them, are really contorted. And, Absolutely. And, and, and not in a pose that a human being could really get into. Now, there's a, it's interesting you bring up Rubens. I, I had a professor who's whose specialty was Rubens. Mm-hmm. She'd done her PhD at the Warburg on him. And she brought up in our class something that I'd never seen on Rubens before. It's probably common knowledge for those who are familiar with old masters. He, for eight years, was stationed with his brother in Rome. His brother was what they called a doctorate of the, doctor of the Catholic Church, well, who is, whose job was to oversee mm-hmm. um, canonical interpretations of mm-hmm. scripture as, an issues came, as issues came up. Mm-hmm. So Rubens would go and see the Laocoon in the Vatican, or he would see other works, and he'd copy these classical poses, 
But then you'd flip a couple pages in his notebook and he'd have a little boy feeding pigeons or wrestling another little boy just outside in St. Peter's Square. Uh So there was there was clearly in Rubens that combination of observed life Uh and classicism that I think I think is I don't know how you strike that period in a in a uh, it seems like mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a perfect program out there to teach it. No. I don't know if there is. Yeah. It seems like you've got a pretty remarkable remarkable education. What did you do right afterwards? What did it set you up for? Uh, uh, went to New York and started doing a, a covers for detective novels <laughs> and western novels and so is, is yeah. new york where you went because that's where the business was yes uh-huh the publishing business which is what i was looking for in order to make a living I, i'm one that decided early on i want to make a living at this i don't want this to be a secondary thing for me i don't have the energy that jed thomas has i i need to focus on one thing and i wanted it to be my career uh, so I decided I had no, I hadn't thought ahead about what I was going to do. I just thought I need to go to New York at least to, to check it out, to check out the, the, uh, the business, to, to, to try to get to know the business. And Was there an alumni network? Did you just show up with the publishers of the portfolio? What did you do? Well, actually, I, I should... Uh, also uh, give a bit of credit to Art Center. At the end of my career at Art Center, they had set up a program where I could, myself and a few other recent graduates, could go back and study with, for non-credit, but just to study for a couple of months with some established illustrators who uh, had a connection with Art Center, and they kind of helped us get to know the business a little bit huh. and and so there was that that uh, segue into the business that's a pretty remarkable program it it was yeah and it only lasted for a, a couple of years and then and and then it, it, it disappeared so uh, yeah I was uh, uh, lucky to be there at so that time. D- these you're doing detective never not uh, detective novel covers yeah at this beginning stage yeah did you like it it was, yes, I did. It was, there, there was a frustration level because, you know, as an artist, you want to express yourself, and, and, and so you're not doing that. But I mean, I am using the, uh, you know, the compositional elements that I'd learned and, and obviously painting the, the figure in a certain way. And, uh, uh, and, I, and I was painting, which is all, you know, I'm, I'm a painter. I, I love paint, and so I was painting, and I was making a, a living at it, and so it was good. But I always kept at home something else on the easel that was purely personal, and it would help me uh, stay grounded as far as uh, my artistic ambitions, because there's a lot of uh, the, I enjoyed being an illustrator, but like I said, there's that frustration level because yeah. you are solving somebody else's problem. You are selling somebody else's uh, product or whatever. So I want to ask about what that personal work was that kept you sane and artistic, but I want to ask a practical question about doing 
Because I think there are a lot of artists today mm-hmm. who are in this in-between stage where they've, they've graduated from school, they've got the training um, to, to be a, an illustrator, a designer, a computer animator of yeah. some kind. Mm-hmm. And um, at the same time, they're pursuing their own passion, but they're, 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 they're paying the bills. They're putting mm-hmm. bread on the table, right? Mm-hmm. When you're doing this work, what does that look like? Are you reading through the novels? Are you just, are, are, walk me through one cover, what you have to do. Well, they weren't always the same. But right. yes, they would send me, typically they would send me a manuscript and I would read the books. Uh, and with the goal of finding out what the main character looked like, what the mood of the book was, and what a good setting would be for the cover. And uh, usually there was, well, always, there was an art director that worked for the publisher that was, had, had ideas that he was throwing at me also. Had he read the books usually too, or were you, were you more versed in it than, they, than the art director? Because I'm they, sure the art director is like 30 projects, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, I don't know if they read the books or not, but they, they were always uh, quite opinionated about <laughs> what, what needed to be on the cover. So. Did, did, uh, and I'm sure that some of them were good and some of them were bad. Yeah. Did, yeah. It, did it influence your work one way or another? If it was a good or a bad one, did you feel? Uh, well, are some uh, of them more memorable than others, in your opinion? Oh, certainly. I some were good and some weren't good. Yeah, I I didn't turn out the best every time. I did my, I did my best, but yeah. you know, some are good or better than others. I, um, but interesting. Yeah. So now let's let let me ask about these works that you were doing on the other easel mm-hmm. in that space that that uh, that uh, that part that partitioned part of your heart mm-hmm. well they were, were paintings of my family is that what they were yeah because i'm a uh, that's what i wanted to do i want to paint pictures of people and there's my family around me you know and so um i did a, um, you know a lot of mother child paintings uh, favorite subject um you know uh, a lot of children playing, children drawing on the floor, playing at the beach, um, a lot of that. Uh, so when you look back at them now, mm-hmm. do they resemble the kind of work you're doing now? Um, In yeah, any way? I think they influenced me a lot uh, uh, because there was a certain style that was expected of me as an illustrator, a tighter style. Uh, and so I was able to kind of loosen up on these other paintings. And I think, well, I think the work that I do now, well, it has to be influenced by both hmm. sides of me. I mean, just because I did so much of it. But I like to think that what I'm doing now is, is more an outgrowth of those other paintings. Can I, sh- I want to put up a picture of a work that, that I think is probably familiar to a lot of people. It's hanging in the conference center right now. And I don't think it would be, it, it's probably fair to say that it's a little different style than some of the works you're doing now. You can tell me. But it's, it's uh, this image, the parable of the virgins done in 1998. Uh-huh. If you go to the conference center um, in Salt Lake City, it's on the ground floor mm-hmm. um, next to, it's, it, it's, and there are a number of works by you that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would, I'd like to know, um, 
You know, one of the questions I'd like to know, and this may be the wrong question, and if, if we ignore it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But you're in New York. Mm-hmm. You've, you're, you're not in California anymore, and New York has got its own art scene that's going on. Plus, it's got the Met. It's got the Frick. It's got the Morgan. It's got a lot of things that are going on. Yeah. How does New York show up in your work? Well, I, I should say I lived in New York for eight years. Then we moved to Connecticut with our family. And by the time I was doing work like this, I was living in Oregon. So you were York, back in Oregon. I was back. In, so I'm skipping a period. Yeah. What did your work look? Lo, lo, lo? Because you know this, like you said, uh, 1998. Um, I started my career in 1974, 75, so that. 22 years as a book and magazine illustrator is is past now. So catch me up between, catch us up between 1974, mm-hmm. working as an illustrator, mm-hmm. doing a variety of kinds of projects from novels to ads to all kinds of other works mm-hmm. to your religious work that is known in the church. What is happening in that period? Are there several kinds of things that are happening in that era? Well, I think of myself, when I ever think of myself, what I am, I'm just a painter. So I was just always painting, you know. So illustration at home, I'm painting uh, pictures of my family. Uh, I didn't think of religious work as being something that I was going to do. Now, you, you, I think you mentioned earlier about the Spencer W. Kimball uh, and talk. The, I the was gospel in, vision of the arts given in 1967. As I look back and I look at it, I was in high school when he gave that, but I don't remember it. When I finished Art Center, I thought, you know, maybe I could do some things for the church. So this was 70, uh, when I finished at Art Center, it was 73. What could you have done for the church then? Well, they just I don't started. Know. So I went. I, I was driving from San Diego to New York, yeah. and I stopped in Salt Lake, and I took my portfolio to the church office building, and there was nobody to show it to. That, the, yeah. So this is uh, six, seven years after the talk by Spencer Kimball, yeah. but the machinery for uh, the church using new art hadn't been developed yeah. yet. So. I th- it's, it's probably very hard for people who are living nowadays to imagine what it was like, but, yeah. but President Kimball's talk was given in 67. 64 was the World's Fair, uh-huh. and they had just, they were just considering having a visitor center on Temple Square. They had not mass-produced the Book of Mormon yet, and the first monthly magazine published by the church was in 1971. It was the Enzyme and the the Friend magazine. And this all happened right after, this is all in the middle of correlation. Uh All church materials, if you had a lesson plan, were usually published by your local stake ward or branch. And so, and the church, the church wasn't commissioning art for temples at the the time either. There was this dearth of temple art that really went on from the early 60s until the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. And so as an artist, you read President Kimball's talk mm-hmm. and you're in the 70s. And there's nothing happening. There's not somebody's office that says, drop art off here. Yeah. yeah. So I went on to New York 
thinking that I'm probably not going to do that kind of work. Huh. Uh, but then uh, the church, um, you know, they they. I don't know the the dates, but in the 80s, at some point, they decided to build the museum of church 84, history. That, that opened. And they, you know, hire actual art historians and curators to start looking for art in the church. I didn't know this was going on, but by the late 80s, they had this competition worldwide uh, invitation for any artists to submit artwork who are members of the church, and I think this was a it was obviously an effort to find out who was out there. The church has started to realize they had a need for new art, uh, hmm. and that art, I I assume they realized art could be uh, a part of our worship, hmm. or at least our missionary public relations efforts uh, and so I entered that what did you enter with I entered a painting of my wife and, and son uh, so mother, it wasn't even child. it was it was a mother child so it was something that it wasn't necessarily seen as a portrait it was seen yeah. it was seen as a as the idea of, of a family image mm -hmm. yeah and how big uh, was it it's like 18 by 24 okay it's not big uh, and the church uh, reacted well to it and asked to buy it, and I said no, I didn't want to sell it. <laughs> so you're—I love this because this is—you're a working professional this time, yeah, yeah. and and the art isn't for sale. That, that's right. <laughs> that piece, anyway. That piece. I still okay. have it today. It's a treasure to me right now. It's one of my favorites to this day. So how did they react to you? You saying no? This is, was this, said, the, okay, was I, this a strategy on your behalf, like no, dating, no, no, where you no, said, no, not at all. sorry, I'm not interested, just yeah. to build up demand? Yeah, I, no, I, you know, I didn't have a master plan here that someday I'm going to be a church artist. I, I had already kind of discounted that. So I just said, no, I wasn't interested in selling that because it's too personal to me. Uh, and then um, three years later, they had another competition, and I entered a different... What I entered was a painting of, this was an illustration. I had been commissioned by, I think, Ballantine Books or Random House uh, to do a painting of Joseph and, and uh, Jesus in the carpenter shop. It was a novelization of the life of Joseph. And so I did something for the, them, and they hated it. And uh, Random House hated it, you yeah, said? Yeah, they said, this is not what we're looking for, and gave it back to me. So it had been sitting in my studio, and when the second competition came up, around 90 or 91, I don't remember exactly, I entered that. And that time, they uh, asked to buy it, and, and uh, I was agreeable. Uh, but then I didn't hear anything. It wasn't until, I kept entering those competitions, but it wasn't until about 1997 that I got a call from uh, the church asking if I was interested in doing a painting for a visitor center. Now, when you say the church, Yeah, this, was, this was came from one of the curator, design, uh, not designer, curator... Richard people. Oman or... Or, or Robert Davis. Or Robert Davis, okay. Um, so this is someone who's tasked with art, mm -hmm. who's working 
probably across multiple departments in the church, yeah. but they're kind of based out of the Church Museum of History and Art at That's that right. point. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got their yeah. eye on art. They're looking for talent, and they've and people within the church are going to them with projects, yeah. and they're reaching out to, to artists that they think can do it, and you're on their hit list now. Yeah. So I did okay. a painting for the Winter Quarters Visitor Center, a painting of the resurrected Christ, and apparently they liked it because then they called me and said, um, you know, we have a need right now. They're, I don't know if the conference center was on the drawing board at that time, but lots of temples being built, visitor centers, they needed new art, and they just said, we really like what you're doing, and, but they didn't give me specific assignments. They just said, um, if you do something that is scriptural that you think we would like, show it to us. Wow. And yeah, so it was really an open-ended invitation. And this was one of the first ones I did. Was this, was this the idea? So it doesn't sound like this is a, hey, you're on the payroll now. No. We're going to pay this much every year for you to do this many works. No, if they didn't like it, they just didn't buy it. So you didn't quit your day job at the time, or did you? What, at what point Well, by did then, my day job had, had kind of disappeared anyway. Why was that? The computers, computer art became very popular, uh, in the, at least in the uh, type of illustration I'd been doing. Okay. And I, I, I uh, wasn't doing it. I, my agent told me I needed to go retrain myself and do my work on a computer. So this is the age of Illustrator and Photoshop. Right, and I didn't know it. And, I didn't and, know how to and do you're, it. You're, you're, this is a... This is a, I don't mean to, to, to sound, you're a horse and buggy in a, yeah, in, a, right. in, a, in a car world. That's right. All these dot coms are coming up yeah. and, and all these publishing houses are dismissing this old, this old, this, this old skill set mm -hmm. that is still extremely useful, but they just kind of decide yeah. so I'm we can do out. this yeah, now that's instead. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that was part of the reason, too. There's many, many re family reasons and other reasons, but part of the reason is we moved to Oregon because I was kind of realized that my illustration career was over. We went to Oregon. I thought I'd be a landscape painter mm -hmm. or maybe portraits or whatever. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I thought life would be cheaper out there and be close to family. Mm -hmm. uh, well, their and, loss is our gain, yeah. right? So <laughs> things weren't really working out great, and my landscape career and then when the church called me it was like you know it was so what, what was your what was your expectation was did you just say well i guess i'm going to throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks and just and just start making things like crazy or were you cautious no i was i jumped into it a, a full yeah i don't know if spaghetti against the wall is the is the uh, comparison? Yeah, but, maybe, maybe. But, well, I guess one of the. I guess what I'm getting to here, and let me, let me move on from the spaghetti metaphor, and go to another question, which is, you hear so many artists today, and they live in a post, um, art evaluation committee world that the church has now that didn't they they, they didn't have then, yeah. and there is within this world that we live in now, a lot of, and I'm sure that people within church management are frustrated with this too a whole bundle of expectations of what the church expects an artwork to look like, yeah. right? Which, did that exist when you, were, when you were submitting works? I don't know, because I was just doing work that I really liked. I mean, 
I get questions from students now when they say, how do I become a church artist? How do I do work uh, that the ch church uh, will use? And my answer is, although it seems self-serving, I guess, that don't approach it that way because you need to find your voice. You need to find what you do best. And if it turns out that the church will like it, uh, then, you know, everyone's a winner. But if you're trying to train yourself to become a church artist, it, it's probably not going to be very good work. It's probably because you're second-guessing what somebody else wants. Mm. Uh, and, and so you're not going to do what's coming from your heart. I was very fortunate that when I made that transition from being an illustrator to just do, doing these scripture paintings, I, I, was in, I, was, uh, I was throwing spaghetti against the wall, I guess. I was, I was just loving this. I thought, uh, let's, let's I grew up loving Rembrandt, and now I get to, to try to do, I mean, I'm, I, that sounds like I'm making a comparison, but... but no, 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 no. And I see, when I look at this work and I see the uses of lights and darks, mm -hmm. the very, the strong contrasts, mm -hmm. the dynamism of the figures, I can see 17th century Baroque mm -hmm. painting absolutely in this. And it strikes me that no one was really doing work quite like this at that time. Mm -hmm. You're not coming from BYU like a lot of people had come. You're not coming from any particular, I mean, you didn't, was there anybody who graduated from your same school that was LDS that was doing similar work? Uh, there was, uh, uh, Bill Mon was going to, we went to Art Center together. His career went a different way though. I don't okay. think he's done a lot of religious work. So where does this come from? Tell me about the conceptualization, soup to nuts. I'm gonna stay with food. Spaghetti, soup, nuts. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me from from this work, how are you how are you conceiving of them, and 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 creating it? Okay, well, like I said, the Richard Oman, Robert Davis, there were others there. I, names escape me. Had kind of given me this open invitation to do work, and so I was you know, thinking of subjects. And uh, one of the problems, I guess, you have is when you're doing scripture study, scripture narrative paintings is that the great masters and geniuses of, the, of uh, art have done them already. So you start thinking of yourself as competing and realize that, that that's not gonna work. Um, this one, this particular subject jumped in, jumped at me. I remember it. I was laying in bed think, thinking of things, and I said, "The parable of the ten virgins, very significant story in the New Testament. Yeah. We and hear about it all the time. Super I, I ambitious. How many people are doing ten figure paintings yeah. at this time? But and I couldn't think of a single example of somebody else having done it. Hmm. I've uh, since realized that there were some, but. Uh, it w to my knowledge, I, I didn't have to to block out anybody else's image here. I, I was, it was a fresh, fresh start. It's interesting that that was important to you. So you weren't, you weren't, uh, you well, didn't want to do your version of Thomas 
Doubting Thomas. You didn't well, want to I do did your the, I version mean, of I think pretty much simultaneous to this one, I was doing The Last Supper, which is, you know, the opposite end. You know, um, Leonardo, right. you're not competing with Leonardo da Vinci there. So you are picking some subjects that are fairly well-known and doing yeah. that. I mean, because when you think about that for a while, finally you, you realize this is not a competition. I'm just here expressing myself. I'm not going to compare myself to those people. I've been inspired by them. I learned from them. But I'm not putting myself up against them in any kind of comparison. Do you think you could have done that pre-professional Walter Rain? You mean right out of school? Yeah. Do no. you think you could have had that confidence to say, I'm not competing. I can yeah. just do it. No. I, I think my years as an illustrator were very important. I don't think that... I don't regret having had to do go through that. I think you, was, that's that's kind of gave you the confidence to say learner. I'm going to do this. Yeah, I'm a slow learner. It took me that all those 22 years to kind of learn what my my uh, what I wanted to do. So you're conceive you're you're now doing a biblical scene. Mm -hmm. Do you hire models? Do you do you, do you uh, do you start sewing costumes? What do you do? Yeah, well, that's one of the great things about biblical art. The costumes are pretty simple. You know? <laughs> and this, I mean, I even simplified them beyond. Uh, I, I never try, I, I'm bad, I'm, I'm not uh, a, a scholar. And my paintings are never meant to be a historical artifact about how things actually would have looked. I'm after the essence of the story. Okay. Uh, so and, if, if and somebody so I, says to you, hey, they wouldn't have had a Doric column in the center of Jerusalem at that time. I'm You're not avoiding offended. those issues. Yeah, I'm avoid, I'm, and I'm not uh, offended by people telling me that I got something wrong historically. Mm. Because I think that's not what this is about. This is about expressing really deep concepts, I mean, about our lives and... I mean, this is about being ready for the second coming, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. there, it's not about what bridesmaids wore in Jesus' time. That's, right. not, that's right. not what is, yeah. is important. So are you, are these peop, the same person posing over and over again? Is this, is this a, a photo shoot that you do that you then use a combination of your, walk me through how you did it. Yeah, this is uh, 10 portraits of my wife. Okay. And so do you create beforehand a thumbnail sketch mm -hmm. and you're doing a, premi a premier ponce, they'd say in French, and then putting her in those poses? How yeah. much are you working before you get to the photo shoot? Well, uh, the pre-photo uh, shoot, as you say... And I'm sorry if I'm using a no, terminology right. that you no, want. Okay. Right. Is, is very important, especially in this comp composition, because... What I, when I decide to do this subject, what's important here? Important is this back and forth feeling, you know. So yes, I'm like we were talking about figure drawing and gesture. That's what's important here, is is the linear patterns that are created the by rhythm the rhythm of hands going to hands yeah, and where and up, faces and are down looking and back and forth, and back and forth because that's the message I'm trying to convey. Uh, when I think of this uh, parable, it's, am I ready? If occasionally I might think I'm, I'm doing pretty good, but most of the time I realize 
I'm not very ready, you know, I'm, ba I'm one of those people. And so this ba that, that's what I'm trying to give you that feeling of indecision and, and back and forth and uh, as well as the, uh, you know, mercy, uh, reaching, some people reaching back and wanting to help, all those kind of things, but, but using, so I, here, I, that's why I'm so excited here. I'm yeah. using the human figure to convey important um, message, important so, things. So if I'm, floor, if I'm trained in today's academic atelier revival mm -hmm. style, yeah. I'm using a kind of kind of reinterpretation of Florentine models, where what I do is I come up with the premier ponce, this kind of really rough compositional sketch, and then I fill it out more and more to the point that I've got every hand gesture figured out in, 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 uh, in graphite or charcoal or whatever, and then I get my models and I pose them in those things. Yeah. Are you, and, and that, that can be kind of rigid because then yeah. it means that you've got it all figured out before you see the physical models in place. How much of this is improvisational when it, at, at, at the stage of your wife is now posing this? Are you getting, are you getting one, 10 quick photos and using those, or are you doing 100 photos and seeing what works as you're doing it? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting, I, you know, I start out with that drawing, so I know the rhythm I want to have, and, and so I'm looking for the gestures that will, that will uh, work for me, work okay. for my composition. And uh, yeah, I'm doing hundreds of photos, and I'll use a hand from one and a, and a uh, you know, a he head from another, maybe an ear from a different one, or uh, there's no ears in this painting, but... <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, oh, there's a little bit. There's there an ear right there. Uh, I'm an expert on Walter Rain, and there is an ear in that painting. Okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know, sir, there is an ear. It's... So you're... you're, you're it's, it, it, that's interesting, because then it's, it's almost like you're... You're, you're using photographs not as a way to paint what's in the photographs, but photographs as a reference and you're forcing the photographs as you're creating a collage they're they're used it's it's interesting i've never really heard of anybody using photographs in quite this way oh really no so for for, for this figure i would probably have a dozen or more photographs taped onto a board and i'm looking at all of them while i'm doing and coming up with the figure that i want and if the hand's not quite right i need to turn it a little bit to uh, you know well, it's, it strikes me, and this is something I'm obsessed with, so I'm sorry, everyone, if I'm, if I'm obsessed with this, but this is the art historian in me that's, that's trained in how mm -hmm. artists work. Um, when Daguerre came out with his invention in the 1830s, 40s yeah. in France, the French Academy uh, assigns Paul de, de la Roche, the student of Ang, mm -hmm. to review the, the, the new invention. And he comes back, and you can read this in the original French. You definitely can. Well, no. That says um, that says this is a wonderful tool for reference. And some artists today are very upset about anyone who uses photographs. Mm -hmm. Some people have have use only use only photographs and not mm -hmm. live models. But it strikes me that one of them is a difference in instinct. That De La Roche wasn't threatened by it because he developed his instincts for a very long time, mm -hmm. and the the photographs were able to inform his instincts that he'd already formed. Yeah. And it strikes me that there's a similarity between you and that kind of artist that is an illustrator, 
for years you had been looking at gesture, at the human figure, mm-hmm. and and that the photographs were 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 there as an informative tool to inform decisions that you were going to make anyway. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that would that be accurate to say? Yeah. I, I mean, I I need something to look at while I'm drawing. I can't just draw from from out of my head. Uh, huh. and after all these years, I still can't do that. So I need I need something to help me with how the light falls across the cheek and and that sort of thing and, yeah. and the turn of the hand. But I'm manipulating it. I'm I'm uh, changing it to suit my needs. So a, a practical question about this work that mm-hmm. I have is the church now, if they go to an artist and they're doing a temple, they'll mm-hmm. say to Joseph Bricky, I need this piece to be circular, this this many inches to fit in this architectural niche. It's going to go around a baptismal font mm-hmm. in such and such a temple. How are you deciding size? I mean, they're, they're telling you to work. How do you say, I'm going to make this 10 feet tall or it's going to be 48 inches? How do you, how do you make these decisions? <clears throat> well... I seldom get a, co- a, a commission where they're telling me, you know, this is what we need, size-wise. So it's just up to me. And um, that seems ideal. That yeah, means that you're doing it yeah. based on what the painting demands, maybe. Right. That's kind of what I'm doing. Uh, so this painting, I think, is something like, like you say, you can go over and look at it, but probably 36 by. It's 40 or 50, something yeah, like that. It's it, not I, huge. I think it's about 36 by, I would say almost by 55 to 60, around there. It seems maybe, fairly large. That Maybe I'm wrong. But it, it, it feels large. I mean, it almost is about the size of yeah. what we're looking at right now on this screen. Think, no, I don't think it's that big. You don't big. think it's that big? I don't know. Maybe it just looms large in my imagination, yeah. and that's uh, why. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to ask you another about another piece that used to be in the conference center. I'm, I know it's still in the church collection. Or maybe I just didn't see it the past couple times I went. Oh, yeah. You had told me um, before when I'd asked you about images we wanted to talk about that this image um, was for you um, different than other things you had done before. Yeah. Why, what, what is different about this for you and what happened? Well, um, and this sort of goes back to talking about Jed Thomas a bit. Cause and I should say for those listening, this is titled, He Anointed the Eyes of the Blind Man. It was yeah. done in 1999, and it's Christ's hands reaching down and anointing a blind man's eyes. Yeah. Sorry, now go ahead. go ahead. So I was struggling with this image. I had painted um, uh, uh, this on a larger... Actually, it says it's on linen. It's on a board. It's on a board. I, I had painted it on a larger board, and I had painted the background. I had painted the full figure of Christ. Uh, it, it was a, a larger composition, and but I was dissatisfied with it because I was struggling with that idea. Well, this looks like I'm trying to say, you know, if I was there and I was hiding behind a bush, this is what we would have seen. I didn't want it to be that kind of painting. I didn't want it to be uh, kind of a historical uh, record of what I thought this this event looked like. Why? Why didn't you want it to be? Because that? I wanted it to be a painting of not of 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 what was happening, of what Christ was doing, that he had the ability to heal somebody. I wanted it to be a painting of. Um, 
you know, I didn't want it to be a, a depiction of Jesus, how Jesus was dressed, how he looked when he was doing this. I wanted it to be a, about what was happening. And, for and those for those who can't see it, Christ is his face is barely visible in the upper right hand yeah. corner. His hands are more prominent than his face. Yeah. So that's exactly where I'm headed because I, I had gone over to see the still small voice and, and started by Judd to, Thomas by, and, and started to thinking more about how do you get to the essence of this story, uh, what's happening. Jesus is a, a power and authority to to heal this man uh, rather than a depiction of an event. And, and, so, uh, and, and so seeing his painting kind of helped me push my mind in different directions. So I, I decided I need to get rid of the, the, the face of Christ pretty much. So I cut the painting down. Hmm. And, and made it so you only see maybe a quarter of his head and, and kind of made it hard to focus on it because there's no detail up there. And I created all the detail right here and then down to here for the angst and the, and the anticipation of the blind man. Using it, the hands as a form it, of so the expression? the hands became, in both cases, in both uh, spots in the painting, the focal points. How did you know when... Okay. Well, I didn't I, know when to stop. That's, that's what I was going to ask. How did you know when to stop? How I did you know and say, this is all I'm going to leave? No, I, did, I didn't know. So I cut it down, and then I, I, uh, I scraped away the background, uh, scraping and sanding. I do so use what sandpaper. So what was there? Well, there, there was kind of a, the wall and the building and details of the, that, and there was more up above and the curtain over here. and. Uh, I can't remember actually. Were um, you looking at anybody in particular, or had you set up that scene? No. But you had done no, the work had, yeah. of of actually having something there. Yeah, I had painted it, and then I scraped it and sanded it, and then cut it down, and put it away, because I didn't know, you know, that after doing that, I I couldn't tell if I liked it or not, and so I put it away, and then a couple months later. And that's another luxury of not having a commission. I, there was nobody anticipating this particular painting. I didn't have a deadline for it. So I was able to put it away, not think about it, and then come back to it and say, oh, I think it's working pretty good now. Hmm. And so I, I emphasized the direction that it was going in, started doing more work here, and I think I... I you know, I'd sanded all this off, but I thought I needed a little definition, and, you know, and, so, and so I started thinking of it in more abstract terms because I felt it was working, and and then put it away again, and then I, the, the, go back and forth with that until finally I look at it and I think, oh, it's done. So one of <coughs> a question that I have, I've got so many questions. It's so fascinating this process of 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 really pushing into a new style mm -hmm. and a new approach to this work that goes against instincts. <clears throat> it makes me wonder, if you were living in, not in Oregon, you're in Oregon at this time, but if you were living in Provo and you were part of a, an artist community mm -hmm. that, that, that was seeing each other on a regular basis, you're yeah. going to parties, you're going to each other's studios, you would have had other critics who would have had opinions about what you're doing at this time. And when I hear you describing your process of putting it away and pulling it out, I hear you saying, I, 
I like this at this point. Mm-hmm. Do you have anybody at this time who you're sending it to? I mean, is, is your wife there saying, look at this? Are you going to old professors? Are you going to anybody and saying, I want a second opinion on this? Or, is, or, or are you at the point in your career where your instinct is what matters to you? Or is it, I, I guess that's a broad question. What, what, how do you know that you like it? If it's a change in well, style, I can't say that I'm, you know, an island, and I'm totally disregard. Uh, um, I can totally disregard other people's opinions, but I that community you were talking about, I could never work in something like that. Or that's probably why I live in New York and not in Provo. Yeah. Um, uh, I I do value my privacy and my wife's a great she has great instincts and and I will look for her to to give her opinion from from time to time but you know at this point yeah I'm really trying to me and I'm not just talking about religious work now but to me all good art is is sort of like testimony I'm bearing my testimony of whatever it is. I mean, even if it's the landscape. Um, and, and so it has to come from my heart, you know. And, and that's why commissions are difficult. Uh, because or somebody, it's like I, I might say, I have a testimony of, of the gospel, but I'm not a good speaker. So I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to give it to you because you're a really good speaker, and you're going to deliver it for me. That's kind of the way commissions are to me. Hmm. So you would do a great job, but I think there would be something missing, unless you were totally into it as well and had the same testimony. Which is a very rare thing to find. Yeah. Very rare thing to find. So, you know, so that's why... When I look back on my work, generally speaking, the pieces that I think are the most successful are ones that had the least amount of input from the outside. I guess that makes me sound sort of arrogant. No, no, <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of, and forgive me for introducing another metaphor, yeah. but I was, several years ago, I was, I was in a small group with John Warnock. He's the founder of Adobe. Oh, it's yeah. ironic that we'd bring him in because he's <laughs> Adobe Illustrator, Photoshop, but he's, he's local and uh-huh. he worked at Xerox Research Park for a very long time. He invented the personal printer, uh-huh. Photoshop, and all these uh, things that we, are, they're a multi-billion dollar industry now. And I remember him saying in the meeting <coughs> that if we did focus groups and asked people what they wanted, we would have never invented the things we invented. Oh. He said, we had to create something that no one had used before and to teach them how to use it. Mm. And it, 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 it makes me wonder about the isolation that comes from that of you bring this to somebody at the church, you present it to them, and, and you are showing them something they've never seen before. And I expected them to not want it. How did they like react? It. They loved it. Immediately, because no one's doing me. no one's doing anything like yeah, this at this time. It shocked me that they. I mean, it was uh, when when we're talking about the church. All I'm talking about is Robert Davis and Richard Ullman, basically. Yeah. 
I don't know what they what process it has to go through after it gets through them. All I know, they're they're my contact, and they're, yeah. they're, they're to me. It's a village at this point. It's yeah. just a village of yeah. of a few people who are hang, who are hanging out yeah. and making these decisions. Yeah. Interesting. Does does this does this then change your style, or are you going back and forth? I can go back and forth. I, I, I it's important to me to to enjoy the process, and part of that is by switching things up. I still do occasionally. I've, I, I just finished up um, while I was doing the Lazarus piece that's here. Yeah, which I was bring doing up. another Lazarus piece that was a full-on illustration of Jesus and Mary and Martha and the apostles and Lazarus uh, and even angels in it involved uh, for as a commission. Yeah. So I'm still, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not turning commissions down. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I, I, it's important to me that, that the process is interesting and fun because I feel like if I'm not having fun, then the people who look at it are, are going to feel that. Hmm. The energy that the painting exudes comes from, I think, the energy that I put into it. Hmm. Um, and that's why... You know, I like to keep myself open to do all, use all kinds of techniques. I don't just use, you know, I'll be start off with washes. I'll do impasto. I'll do um, scumbling. I do a lot of scumbling. I like to do underpainting and describe scumbling for those who aren't familiar with the oil painting process. You have an underneath painting, and then you paint on top of it and let some of the underneath show through, and it and it enlivens the. Uh, the painting and unifies it as well at the same time so oh, i i don't know if it's true of this and and tell me if it wasn't this one if it was another one was there a work that as you're as you're doing it and as church the church starts reproducing distributing putting works in magazines mm -hmm. it seems to me this is one of the first walter rains i remember mm -hmm. seeing and it's strange to say that to your face one of the first walter rains yeah, yeah. <laughs> that i remember seeing <laughs> Was was there a moment where you saw a work of yours that was reproduced and said, "Oh my heavens, maybe I'm a religious artist now"? Hmm. I don't know. That, I don't know that I've ever thought of that category even now. <laughs> you know? No, I, I. I don't mean to label you. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, I I did this one and it came out in the inside right away so it was kind of like wow because i did like i said i didn't even expect them to want it and then there it is and i remember that right issue away. coming out yeah i remember it. yeah so i was i was i think on my mission at the time that dates me yeah. and i remember carrying it around and using it as a missionary tool really yeah and um and so there were what? these there were these guys it, just to tell you this yeah. is this is about me i'm sorry to insert my own personal no, no. But in Latin America, I served in Chile, there were people who specialized all over Latin America in doing leather cases for scriptures and doing images, burnt leather images. Mm -hmm. And I remember him trying to do six versions of this before he gave up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> did it was just pay, so, I mean, I don't know if you thought about the ramification <laughs> of your work on the Latin American leather scripture case market. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, it's, 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 it's interesting because to me that was... 
that was a watershed moment and 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 a different kind of work. Did that change? Um, did your because a work was then distributed by the church and was put on the Enzyme cover? Did that change your the kinds of works you were commissioned to do? Did that change your relationship with art in general, or is did it? Were you already stay in a certain path and just stayed there? Well, this wasn't the first one, right? I th I, the Last Supper might have been the first one, but yeah. By this time, I was thinking, uh, this this is this is great. <laughs> this is fun. I'm 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 so ecstatic about the idea of continuing to do this kind of work because I love doing it hmm. and I thought you know I could be doing this for a while and and I was very excited what's your output like how many works are you working on at once and how many do you do in a year and does it change oh I'm sure it changes um, but uh, and it's really hard to gauge because like you suggested, I'm generally working on four to six paintings at a time because I'm okay. doing that always, putting things away, coming back, getting a fresh look, and also letting things dry so I can scumble <laughs> uh, over the uh, underneath underpainting, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm you know, and so I can fail because of those four or five or six paintings that I'm working on at a time. A couple of them, at least, probably aren't going to be successful. Because so do you have a pile of failures? I in, usually end up painting over them. How do you know? At what point do you know you failed? That I just don't like it, and I've tried so hard that I give up on it. Hmm. I mean, sometimes um, there are certain subjects that I can't let go of, like in last year's show, I had the uh, wrestling painting. Now, Jacob wrestling with an angel. This is a subject that almost obsesses me because it seems like a metaphor for our lives. You know, we're trying to find out in this physical world whether a spiritual world exists. And if it does exist, can we interact with it? And can we reach out? And can it be you know, part of our lives? And, and this story in the Old Testament of of J Jacob actually physically wrestling with a celestial being is is just wonderful, you know. So, I, But I had tried to do this. I spent five or six years until I got here because I tried and failed. How many different versions did you come up with? Well, this was the first one I was pleased with. And then I've done another one since. So I have this, I've got to tell you a conversation that I had that goes to a question. This was, a, this, is, this was submitted to two shows simultaneously. One was the Zion Art show that we had last year, but then it was also in the Art Renewal Center mm -hmm. um, salon, which happens in New York, and works are submitted digitally, and then they have a physical exhibition of those works. And this work was shown at the Salmagundi Club, where the Art Students League of New York um, meets, and then it was sent to Europe as part of that show. So it was seen by groups who were familiar with the subject as a scriptural work and those who were not familiar with the, with the religious context. And, I rem and here, when it was shown at Zion Art Society, we shared, we shared that the exhibition was, was hosted by Anthony's Fine Art, mm -hmm. which has a lot of religious art from the past. Yeah. And I'd gone downstairs with a couple who saw a, a work that had an angel with a halo over it. And they said, angels don't have halos. <laughs> 
And then they came upstairs and they saw this and they said, ah, that's perfect. And I thought, this is such an interesting notion because you had to depict supernaturality, mm -hmm. supernaturalness, whatever mm -hmm. word we're coming up with mm -hmm. for that, in an image. Halos are a way of doing that. Wings are a way of doing mm -hmm. that. I have never, it reminds me of Tintoretto, but I don't, I had never seen the spiritual figure ripped out of its physical existence or spiritual existence into the physical world depicted in this way at all. I'm dying to know how you came up with this. It looks like the fabric of, 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 of light being torn on, oh, on how someone. I came up with. Yeah. How did you come up with that? Uh, by, and I uh, hope it gets picked up as a device by other people. Yeah. <laughs> by, painting it, letting it dry, and sanding it down, and then painting it again, letting it dry, and sanding it down, or scraping it with a palette knife. As an image, were you a did you know what you were after, or did it emerge as you were going? It kind of emerged as I was going. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, I know some artists like to know where they're headed with a painting. This one in particular, I did not know, because like I said, I'd already tried several other paintings with kind of different poses and been frustrated with them. And so by the time I was with this, there actually is another, this is probably the same board that some of those failures were on previously. And so even some of those failures are probably influencing what's going on in the background or something. That's some of the scumbling that's yeah. coming up. Yeah. I noticed there's a landscape that's coming through this with a river, at least that looks that way to me. Yeah. And so he's in, um, e even though you've got this abstracted top third of the painting that is in the sky and has got this, this, uh, the, 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 this heavenly kind of ambiance or light that's being pulled out of, you've put it grounded in a physical world. They are actually wrestling. Mm -hmm. And in the story, I love this detail of the work, um, the angel ends it by touching his left hip and causing his hip to fall out of joint. Mm -hmm. And you have the angel reaching below. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and, and this inversion of the figures, I re how did you achieve this, this, um, this pose from the two of them? How did you land on this pose? Um, <clears throat> I, I, I hung a swing from the ceiling. And I had my sons, one of them in the swing and one of them down on the ground. This is in your apartment in <laughs> no, Harlem? No, I started this in Oregon. Okay. So you had him in a swing. Yeah. And he one's the angel. Uh-huh. Were your kids wrestlers? No. <laughs> <laughs> what direction are you giving them? Tear each other apart? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of happenstance and luck, because I wasn't sure where I was headed and how it was going to look. I had tried to draw this out uh, without photographs, and yeah. I, I couldn't get it. I didn't know how. And I wanted the angel coming down head first, because every time I had them on the same plane, mm -hmm. it looked like they were dancing or something. It just didn't work. And I, and I wanted it to, to look like something coming down from heaven and he's coming head first because he's a celestial being. He's different from the physical being. Hmm. Um, so um, so you're putting it away. You've got different versions. 
when did the first version start before it ended in 2016? How many, how long is this? Is Probably this? five years. Five years. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated because I, one of the worlds that we both cross over into is the contemporary realist classical world. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's the Art Renewal Center. That's the Grand Central Academy in New York, the Art Renewal appro approved ateliers mm -hmm. that are around the country and the world. Yeah. And that is an audience that um, values the illustrative skills that have come down from that generation. Mm -hmm. and, and, and your work being submitted to that, is that the first time you'd submitted to the ARC Salon? I had submitted, um, uh, uh, no, I'd submitted Elijah and the and the man uh, oh elijah Elisha. and the and the and, and the t the rending his garment yeah i guess my question is um did that audience even though they weren't religious first what was the reception of your work from them what were they interested in about your work what kind of conversations were you having with that crowd i i, I didn't have it <laughs> you didn't no i i i mean not not in that depth, you know, uh, because, uh, well, first of all, primarily that show is an online thing. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I don't have any, any interaction with the judges. I don't know why they liked it or didn't like it and or the viewers. I can tell you one judge and what his reaction was. All right. One of the organizers is Peter Trippi, right. and we hired him to be the judge for, he's not LDS, mm -hmm. we hired him to be one of three judges for last year's show. And Peter Trippi's the editor of Fine Art Connoisseur magazine, he's, he's one of the organizers of the ARC show. Mm -hmm. And when we brought up this work, he said, I really like him, he reminds me a little bit of Waterhouse. Oh, really? Now, Whoa. the interesting thing about that is that Peter's expertise is Waterhouse, <clears throat> Wow. right? So he's, maybe he's saying that because that says he likes your work, and so in his mind, because he likes Waterhouse. Because yeah, I don't see that. But but, but it, it did beg the question for me of when you go to an audience, you know, maybe you come to, to an LDS audience with your work and they say, oh, that reminds me of Heinrich Hoffman or Karl Block, yeah. because that's what they're used to seeing. But then you take it to the RC show and they say, wow, he reminds me of Bougaro, or he reminds me yeah. of Jules Lefebvre, or Cavanaugh, or maybe that's Danyan Bouveret, and, and they start making assumptions. And, and I guess I was, I was kind of curious about, about the code switching mm -hmm. between the two worlds, right? And, and if there <clears throat> is any, but it sounds like maybe, maybe there isn't, because it is still not, it's still you and I, it's you in isolation from, yeah. because it's all digital. Uh, that show, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I'm, I'm uh, interpreting your question correctly, but... I'm not sure uh, I've got a great question yeah. either. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm influenced by all of those people. And yeah. I don't really think, oh, I I'm, want this to be like yeah. uh, Caravaggio or whatever. I, I'm influenced. I'm influenced by de Kooning and Pollock I, because they love paint, and I love paint, and and just the beauty of paint itself, and I and I love the abstract qualities of mm. of of wh what I do. I I value that as well. I want to ask you about uh, uh, about uh, one more piece. 
Um, and that's a piece that, um, and this will be the last piece because I know we're running uh, um, uh, uh, running out of time. Unfortunately, I could be here all night. Um, and this is this is a piece that's currently on view in New York with Reese Galleries, which oh. is a very well respected gallery that deals historically. They've dealt with um, with with uh, 19th century work. Howard Reese has mm -hmm. been dealing with a lot of Daniel Ridgway Knight. He's an expert on that figure. He's expert on on people like La Hermite and other figures. And recently, he started to go more in towards contemporary artists. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that, it, it, did he see your work in the ARC yes, salon? He saw How it. did that happen? Well, he saw my work there, <laughs> as far as I know. And I know he's, he's in that world, you know, uh, uh, Fred Ross and he know each other. So mm -hmm. uh, they're... There's that connection. They're both members of what's called the, uh, at least Howard is, and he's one of the organizers of the Fine Art Dealers okay. of America, and they have a big show every year. Instead, in, in addition to his gallery, they have a big one in, in Los Angeles uh -huh. and another one in, in Florida, yeah. and and you're part of that mm -hmm. that that world now with uh, this work. Right, but what's the question? The question is, did he come to you and say, kind of loosely in the same way that you got from the church paint paint something <clears throat> what, what we're, we're, i want to represent you what did that conversation look like well first of all it was it's a tentative offer you know he said we like your work and we'd like to kind of try you out yeah so and he had seen the elisha elijah painting okay and but and he said I really like this. I just want you to do some more paintings that you like. He totally left it up to me. Uh, and uh, I had, I've always been fascinated by the interaction between spirit and physical. It's always an important theme to me in a lot of the scripture paintings too, obviously Lazarus and and uh, others. Um, so when uh, uh, Howard approached me, I thought, you know, he doesn't want a narrative painting of the Old Testament or New Testament, but even though he's looking at an Elijah painting, I don't think that really mattered to him. <clears throat> but I still wanted the painting to have a, a, a spiritual foundation for me and a spiritual expression coming from me. So I deci decided to work on the idea of resurrection and that's where this is coming from. So here we have almost a bird's eye view of, and, uh, of, of, of land, of, mm -hmm. of a landscape. Mm -hmm. And in between the sky and the land, there are various bodies that are Dis, uh, they're, they're free of the pull of gravity. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how other people interpret this. They might, you know, might not think of it as a resurrection at all. Yeah. They might just think of it as, um, I don't know, physical, physical, and the elements of the earth and yeah. interaction with the humans, humans and 
and the earth interaction and the clouds and that sort of thing. They might not look at it the way I do, which yeah. is fine with me. In fact, it, that's exciting to me when I find that So you don't, you don't send off on the back of it a, a, a description of this is the interpretation of this no, work when no, you do something I like really this, because it's titled solely yeah, Alone. Yeah. Alone. I'm not sure that's the right title. Isn't? I pulled this off their website. I'm going to have to go back and check that. <laughs> well, I'll send an email to Howard because, after this. Yeah, that say, doesn't seem so what, what would be the title if, if you had the title? Do you remember? I, it was more something like Arise, Arise. or something like that. Okay. Uh, but I'm not sure. Okay. Because I did a series of these. Right, right. And, yeah. I, and maybe I, I, I should have picked a, another one, too. Yeah. But it does, it does fascinate me, this, this um, and I don't know if you'd even call it a new direction, because when we look at even the work that's in the show right now, um, it seems like there is a connection stylistically between this and Christ healing the blind man. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and uh, this is a breath of life, and this is Lazarus. And the word you use is, and I'm going to, because you wrote the label, Oh. You say the position between life and death is in reverse as the spirit of Lazarus is forced back into his lifeless body, mm -hmm. demonstrating Christ's command of the elements. I had never considered resurrection a violent experience or that a violent experience. Like you well, said see, it. this isn't resurrection. Well, right. right. And I, I almost corrected myself the moment I said yeah. that. The forcing of the spirit and the body back together... I never thought of that as a violent moment, but then I thought, well, birth is an extremely exactly <laughs> violent. Experience. That's what I was trying to make that comparison. Were you? Yeah. I'm glad that I was that I, I that I got that. Yeah. Then, yeah. it's right around the corner for those of you who want to see it afterwards. Um, like, it, you know, one discussion with you is not enough, right. but it's also such a privilege to get in the mind of someone who you know, I think that many of us in the church um, have have grown up with your work but have not had many opportunities to hear directly from you mm -hmm. and to, to, to and and maybe maybe that's something and even as I hear you talk um, you're you're also happy with the idea that people don't have necessarily your interpretation yeah. So I hope I haven't treaded too heavily on your privacy as you've made these images too. It's such a privilege to have you. Thank you for having been here. I'd like to now take an opportunity, if it's all right with you, for just a few minutes to open up questions to the audience that we have here. Okay. Is there anyone who would like to ask, um, ask Walter any questions while we, while we have him here? Yes. Walter, one thing I love about your work that characterizes so many, there seems to be dynamic movement that just flows through the painters and energy. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems a very conscious choice stylistically that you have carried through. Can you tell us about why and where that came from and the thoughts that go into to that type of energy in your paintings? Well, why and where it came from is, I mean, that's what I love to do. That's what I, when I look at another artist's work, th that's what I react to is that energy. That's when I like the work. So I want my work to have it too, I guess. Um, I, th I think it, it engages the viewer. It, 
it makes you want to be involved when it, when you feel that there's motion going on, and it, it kind of draws you in. I think, uh, and I you know I, I work at it. Um, that is a primary goal of of my work is to have that movement and energy. So I work at it. In the that's the first sketch. That's what what is the core of the composition before I decide what, where the people are and what they're dressed like and what their gestures are is, is the energy that the composition is going to exude. Yes, and be sure to speak yeah. up too. You did a great job speaking loudly. Yeah. You've spoken to some of it already, but I would love to hear your comments on the texture Mm -hmm. of breath of life, mm -hmm. particularly because the image that is going to be seen online and that we see right now does not remotely do the texture of this painting justice. That has been uh, an issue with me my whole career because I love surface texture and I know it doesn't reproduce well, so it's kind of silly for an illustrator to be interested in surface texture, but I was anyway and I just keep doing it because it, to me it makes the whole process exciting. Uh, yeah, uh, and um, so, for instance, yeah, there's a lot of sandpaper going on here. Uh, so I, you know, I painted the the um, the what do you call it? The fabric flying off of Lazarus, and then I sanded it off, and then I went back into it and picked out the areas that I wanted to pick out. And then maybe I sanded it again, and back and forth until it had that f freedom that I was looking for. I wasn't exactly sure what I was looking for, to be honest, but until I was pleased with, with it. Hmm. Yeah. Yes? Um, something I've noticed about LDS art over the years is the aversion to using black or dark colors. You don't have that problem. Rembrandt didn't have that problem. Right. Um, could you, I mean, you seem somewhat purposefully isolated from the general Mormon art world. Yeah. Would you make a comment on why they don't use black and why you're okay with it? Because I, yeah. I can't speak for other people. I have no idea. But I, you know, I'm looking for drama and, and, uh, and black helps. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I've had that tendency and as an illustrator, it was often a criticism that my work was too dark. Um, and um, and it's, I, it's a matter of personal taste, I guess. For some people, my work is too dark. But to me, it, uh, you know, contrast uh, really uh, is powerful, a uh, visual thing. It, 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 if you don't mind me asking a follow-up question on that, because it seems to me that there are artists today, you hear the story occasionally, where they'll send a painting to a church committee, mm -hmm. and the church committee will say, the figure needs to be smiling, mm -hmm. or have its face turned. Mm -hmm. Do you get those criticisms, mm -hmm. and how do you handle them? Because it seems to be part of this idea of, if, and I don't want to miss it, change your question. Would you, is this an all right direction? Uh, sure. Okay, okay. <laughs> But, but how do you handle those kinds of questions of? I mean, if I'm doing a commission, 
I, I realize that somebody else is involved in this, in creating this piece, and I, I will usually try to do my best to, to come up with something that they're happy with. And that you're happy with? And that, and that I'm happy with. And it occasionally has happened that that, that uh, has never, never come, you know, it never happens, and it just gets rejected. Hmm. It's happened. And you let the rejection happen? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. Um, maybe I, because maybe we're going too long, but there, there was a recent example of that. We're in I, control. I, that I did <laughs> for the temple committee. It was, an, it was, and it was even somebody, usually the temple committee, at least in my case, doesn't request certain subjects. But in this case, one of the designers wanted a Gethsemane piece. And so I did one, and the upper part was all black. And so they sent it back. It had the the angel and and the and uh, Christ praying. Uh, and uh, I have to say, I was really excited about it. I really thought I I really hit the nail on the head this time. But they sent it back and said we don't like that big black area up on top. And so. I tinkered with it a little bit and sent it back again, and they said, no, that's still not good. So that was it. I, I, you I, still have it? I, I ended up selling it to somebody else. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So. How do you get the faces to communicate the right emotion? You know, I mean, is that like a wrestle sometimes? Yeah, it's so a I'm wrestle. I'm going to repeat that just for the okay. mic, because I know you're kind of far back. But the question was, how do you get the, the faces to have the right emotion? Right. Well, you might notice that I often uh, try to take the focus away from faces. But when I do, when I, it just happens that the face has to be a focal point, um, I try very hard to make it as subtle as possible, but still express what I'm looking for. Because it's re really tricky to convey emotion through facial expression in a painting for me. It's better to have the emotion expressed by the gesture and the pose and the overall feeling of the painting. If you're focusing on the furrowed brow of Jesus, then it, you know, to me it just doesn't work. So I try to make whatever, if there is an emotion conveyed through uh, a facial expression, I try to make it pretty subtle. And uh, it, yeah, it's just a matter of going back and forth with it until I feel like I'm happy with it, and hopefully somebody else is happy with it too. Hmm. Yes, last question. This is a selfish question, but what advice would you give to us artists who are still trying to kind of find our way? Um, <clears throat> Well, I, I think, it, uh, I mentioned before, I think it's important that you're, you don't uh, have a target, like say, I want to do paintings that the Temple Committee is going to like. Because for a couple of reasons, one is I think it, 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 it stunts your growth as an artist. And also, I'm hoping that even the Temple Committee is going to grow in their appreciation of new art 
And, and so if you're not doing it, where are they going to find it? So. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Walter, for coming. It was a privilege. Thank you. Thank you.